Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. And welcome to this, another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris, here as always on these Tuesdays, joined by Ian Harditz and energetically John Daigle. Gentlemen, how are you? Great day to be great, Josh. Still? Are, you, are we still going with that line, Ian? It has not changed in these last two weeks? I did update the Twitter bio to, what was it? It was something pretty important. Don't something, get me wrong. Something so important you don't remember it. <laughs> big, players, big players make big plays in big games. It's facts. Sure, but there are no big games going on right now. I yelled at him beforehand, before we started recording. I still don't understand why he has a toboggan on when it's 63 <laughs> degrees outside. I mean, it is sunny. If I it's went outside beautiful. for more than 15 minutes, I, I would get a sunburn. I am just stunned that you're in a hoodie and a toboggan. I would say 90% of the time I write, I need to have a toboggan on. It's just like kind of have it at this point. So like in the summer, it'll be maybe we're behind on the air conditioning bill. So it's like 90 degrees in the apartment. <laughs> I'll have no shirt, some shorts on and a toboggan. So. While you're writing, is it still only just music or like on your second monitor, do you have like a TV show going, Netflix going, something else? Or can it only be music to, to not overwhelm no. your focus? Right. Yeah. I mean, you have the TV on next to you, you're going to be distracted by it. Anyone that can do anything with the TV on, I mean, you're just going to be distracted by it, in my opinion. Yeah, I will even limit my TV hours now. At first I didn't, but now it'll be 7 p.m., 8 p.m. and then I'll turn something on. But until that point, if I start the TV beforehand... Uh, I'll just be completely distracted and won't get anything accomplished. So I'm sure you guys are just banking on uh, Ed Williams and company listening to this podcast later. So I, I, <laughs> I get it. I know the real answer. Today, once again, we are continuing our path of drafting. Having um, so many ideas. AKA. So many ideas. There aren't many of these left. Ian had a great idea this week because we are in the middle of our team needs and mock draft columns, which you can go check out on Roto World right now. The AFC East is up. The AFC North is up. We finished the AFC this week and then start on the NFC. You know, Nick, Daigle, Ian, I think Hayden's getting involved as well. They outline every team's needs in that division. And then I'll go and do a seven-round mock draft for each team as well. We're posting four every single day. So go and look at that. So on that trend, Ian had this wonderful idea of even with free agency passing, some teams have some very significant roster holes that still need to be filled prior to the start of the season. I don't know about y'all, but when I started making this list, I was a little nervous that I couldn't get, you know, five or seven or 10 of my own. And then I kept going over the rosters and there were more needs and more holes and more places to fill. And I was, I was stunned and shocked by that. So lucky enough, John Daigle gets to kick us off this week. What is the number one significant roster hole that needs to be filled ahead of the 2020 season? So I limited it to teams I think can be contenders. So the most hmm. important teams that are essentially one piece away from making the Super Bowl, perhaps. And I'm starting with the Cowboys. This is an organization that their shortcomings forced them to simply re-sign Anthony Brown once Byron Jones walks as their only solution to all their problems in the secondary. And while that does buoy Dak Prescott into a tremendous fantasy football situation with plus game scripts every week. The fact is this defense needs one respectable corner at the very least to be considered a true contender. As it stands right now, their nickel package they'll be running out is Anthony Brown, who I just said they resigned, Shadobi Awuzie, and Jordan Lewis in the slot, backed by Xavier Woods and Ha Ha Clinton Dix, who's pretty much the opposite of a safety because he doesn't play safe at all. 
It's, it's an utter disaster. So it's more or less just unacceptable. Somewhat to be expected here. And maybe they could have figured it out how to squeeze Byron Jones back in there. But I think we all kind of looked at this roster and we said, Dak, Zeke, Cooper, Byron. Byron was always probably going to be the guy that wasn't going to get paid here. And that's just kind of, I think it's more their philosophical thinking on the defensive side of the ball. You know, Chris Richard, uh, kind of the Seattle cover three principles he's implemented there. You know, we saw Seattle over the years at times reluctant to kind of pay those high priced secondary players. I do think they're somewhat confident they can still get decent cornerback play, you know, either out of lower tier free agents or from the draft. I agree with you. It's a whole, but I just think they've kind of zeroed in on, uh, you know, we always talk about pass rush versus coverage. I mean, looking at, you know, Alden Smith, you know, Randy Gregory, again, trying to do that. I say it's clear the Cowboys favor pass rush over coverage. And it's clear that the team prioritized returning everyone possible on the offensive side of the ball, obviously in Dak, Ezekiel at project of the season, Amari Cooper in free agency. But it's not like the team only had corner issues entering free agency, Daigle. I mean, they had issues along the interior offense or defensive line, and, and that was with Don Tari Poe and, and Jared McCoy. They helped fill that. They didn't need it safety, and so hot, hot Clinton Dix, you bring him in. So it certainly seems like this is the primary need that must be addressed in the draft. But when all your eggs are kind of in that basket, I'm sure we'll hit on this a lot throughout this draft, you know, you hope the board falls how you want it to. In that middle of the first round, hopefully they can find a starting corner day. Even a player like uh, Jeff Heath, who played 700 snaps, was a defensive captain, was an important piece in that secondary they lost. Whereas last year, they depended on the pass rush to uh, hold down a strong secondary. Now they lost, as we said, Byron Jones, but also lost guys like you said as a pivotal part of their pass rush. So mm-hmm. their defense overall, yes, it's a, it's a larger unit that needs addressing quickly. But as I said, I still think corner is the most important position because right now Jordan Lewis has to be what they think he can be. Like he has to build off the second half of last season, and that's not a sure thing. Yeah, I was actually just working on the Cowboys team needs before this podcast. I actually had secondary down because I, I think you're right, John. Like the safety position isn't great either. Ha ha. Clinton Dix has been on three teams since 2018. We can't just assume because he was a first round pick once upon a time that he's a high level player these days. And yeah, losing Jeff Heath, even though if he wasn't, you know, the greatest player in the world, he at least had plenty of experience in the system. The whole secondary is an issue right now. This team also has another need and that's in the slot. Slot wide receiver, Mike McCarthy talked about it at the, at the combine that Randall Cobb was a pivotal piece of this roster last year. I mean, Ian, you disagree? Who's going to fill the slot for them this year? Oh, what do you mean, Josh? Mr. Tony Pollard, the slot Uh wide receiver, RB hybrid. I thought you were going Devin Smith. I'm sure this won't actually happen, but how amazing would that be? I think he has the skill set to do it. They want to give him more touches. They have not put a slot wide receiver there. I mean, look, I know we always say the Cowboys, they're not going to use their players appropriately. Dozens of touches for Tavon Austin. The jokes go on and on. But new coaching staff, there's there's a small chance that slot receiver is Tony Pollard. Very ready, even if there aren't enough news items this offseason on Roto World, that we'll still have 45 blurbs dedicated to Tony Pollard's transition to the slot, like we did with Duke Johnson during his days in the slot for the Cleveland Browns that lasted about one or two games. You do love that type, Ian. That that goes straight to your heart, that Tony Pollard, <laughs> Duke Johnson. Like, look, whenever I ask you what your type is, you just have to say those two names. Ian. You say the guys that will never play in the slot. Yes. It's like running backs are like 60, 70 touches and super high elusive ratings because of it. <laughs> All right. I am drafting next. And there is no position that is more pivotal to an NFL organization than quarterback. I mean, it is what dictates winning and losing in so many situations. And there is one team out there that is loaded from a talent standpoint. You have a young pass rusher and Joey Bosa on a rookie contract. You have a young secondary playmaker who can also live near the line of scrimmage and Derwin James, who is absolute dynamite on an NFL field. You have Mike Williams, who's still in a rookie deal. You have Keenan Allen still in the prime of his career. You bring back Hunter Henry on a franchise tag. Yet, can this team of the Chargers really go into 2020 and say to themselves, we have built talent on this team, and yeah, we're comfortable with Tyrod Taylor as our quarterback. Like, isn't that just not going to the extent that you really should in order to to try to win at the NFL level. Listen, I like Tyrod Taylor. I think you can win enough to get to the playoffs with him as your quarterback. But really, in the end, is, is that enough? And so far, this Chargers team just seems content with their situation. 
And maybe that changes, and a lot of us expect it to in the top 10 of the draft. But Ian, what if it doesn't? What if it doesn't change, and everything that Anthony Lynn has said about Taylor happens, and he is the starter throughout the entire 2020 season? I think that's the catch. I mean, Tyrod as a bridge quarterback to play before your first round guy is ready. I think we'd all be fine with that. But if that's not the case, then all of a sudden we got problems. Because as we've been saying year after year after year with the Chargers, like the roster as a whole remains very talented pretty much everywhere. Could the offensive line be better? Sure. But skill position players are great. As you said, on the defense, they're more complete than they've ever been now at all three levels. And it does seem like a ways to put Tyrod in here. Now, I'm on the record saying I think this Chargers team could be a lot of fun with yeah. Tyrod at quarterback. But that's like 7-9-9-7 fun. That's not Super Bowl contention fun. I do think Tyrod gets a little bit of a bad rap considering we have not seen him play in 2017 other than just a completely broken uh, offense in Cleveland with who, you know, running the show and the whole Baker Mayfield behind him situation. So – I'm not willing to say Tyrod is just like atrocious option under center, but I think we've seen his ceiling. It's about as a 500, uh, you know, win-loss signal caller. So please draft someone in the first round. It shouldn't be that hard. It's just the ultimate example of why the NFL is such a buddy-buddy league because Anthony Lynn leads the entire league in rushing with Tyrod Taylor under center in 2016 with the Bills, and he goes right back to him the moment he can. Uh, Yes, I think it could be fun, especially for fantasy purposes, if Tyrod Taylor is a starter and only a warm body and Easton Stick is behind him. But clearly, they have to have a plan, even if it's not just for this year. For next year, since Tyrod turns 31 in August, just something in place as a backup option, especially when they went out and, like you said, they already had stacked options at every single unit, but they improved upon those units as well. Just simple additions like Trey Turner and Belaga on the right side of the offensive line, throwing Chris Harris in the slot. And yes, maybe that defense despite being uh, elite, doesn't matter so much when you run into Patrick Holmes twice a year. It may not matter in the end. But still, like that, that team is overall above average outside of the most important position on the field. And at some point, if Tyrod is your quarterback, and Ian, I'm with you. Like I like Tyrod seemingly as a person, as much as we know about him, and, and as a player. Like This isn't a, a Brock Osweiler situation where right. you're really <laughs> like – you gain nothing at the quarterback position. He, he is capable. And again, I think nine and seven is probably the direction that they go in if he is a starter. But once you get to the playoffs with him at quarterback, like everything has to align perfectly in those moments if Tyrod is your starter in order to win those playoff games. It kind of has to be like Ryan Tannehill having a second career of becoming this extremely good vertical passer, one of the best off play action in those small sample sizes in order for you to beat really quality playoff teams. And they would have to, in the AFC West, beat someone like the Kansas City Chiefs or other AFC contenders in order for a starter like Tyrod to make sense on how talented the rest of that roster is. Yeah, and originally I was thinking Tyrod was having you know best skill position group of his career. And I do think it is, but... I was underestimating how good some of those players he was with in Buffalo. I mean, you know, say we go about Sammy Watkins. Okay, Robert Woods was on that squad. As you guys said, number one rushing offense. Tyrod deserves plenty of credit for that number one rushing offense. But he's been with good players throughout his career. I don't think there's necessarily this huge untapped ceiling that we haven't seen before. Like Mariota, there's a major difference in being comfortable with him being a backup and then suddenly depending on him for 16 games. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder if they get super aggressive in the draft too. Like this is a team that's probably because almost always when you are selecting a quarterback, unless you're at number one, you do have to trade up for them. And this could be a team that gets super aggressive and is, you know, behind closed doors on their own zoom calls, having the same discussion that we are. So what do you, that, what do you that have would be them very in their, telling. And your most recent mock. I think I have them with Justin Herbert. I can't get that out of my head. Basically, okay. I mean, I keep reiterating it, but Staying, what? Standing pat at number six, Justin Herbert. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But I mean, I, I'm not trying to project trades because I'm not trying to do that extra work and, right. you know, make people angry based on the compensation. But <laughs> I, I would not be surprised if they do move up for a quarterback. And even if they move up for Tua, I think that would be a lot of fun because it certainly sounds like Anthony Lynn wants someone that is mobile. And thankfully for him, basically three of the three of the options that they will have available in the first round potentially are our mobile passers. And the fact they announced Chris Harris moving to the slot, making Desmond King expendable as one of the better slot corners mm. in the league does give them somewhat trade bait. Yeah. All right, Ian, you're at number three. I got a group that was very good for uh, several years before kind of last season that became a sore thumb of an otherwise good team. 
the Vikings cornerback group and almost yep. secondary as a whole at this point. I mean, they released Xavier Rhodes. I, he looked very washed last season. I'm not saying that was a bad move, but Trey Waynes, Mackenzie Alexander, both signed with the Bengals. Mike Hughes is the number one cornerback right now. Nothing against Mike Hughes as a player or person, but he should not be your number one cornerback in April of a team that wants to contend for the Super Bowl next year. Now, I know Mike Zimmer will have absolutely no problem spending high draft picks on cornerbacks as he's never had a problem with that before. But I'm just looking at this Vikings team, and it's like, okay, they lost in the playoffs last year because they didn't have enough offensive firepower. They couldn't handle that San Fran pass rush, and they couldn't stop the run on the other side of the ball. And all they've done this offseason is they lost Stephon Diggs. I think we all agree he's a top 10 to 20, worst case, wide receiver in the league. Everson Griffin's a free agent. Anthony Harris, you know, number two safety. He's now being floated in trade rumors. So I don't know what exactly Minnesota has done to get better. We're seeing them just develop a ton of money into Kirk Cousins now. And honestly, like, of all the teams in the NFC North, like, I wouldn't be shocked at all if they take a step back. They, they might be the least complete team in the NFC North right now. Yeah, receiver is such a big priority, but looking back to have such a strong pass rush and literally no one behind them, no matter even if they do get to the quarterback, uh, it's an absolute disaster. And remember, it's not just one cornerback. Like those safeties you mentioned were playing nickel for them in the playoffs because they lacked so much depth. So they don't need just one or two. They probably need three or four viable bodies immediately. And it just seems impossible to soak up that much uh, to work in such a short span of time. Yeah, Ian, you mentioned Mike Hughes. He was PFS number 88 corner overall last year in their grades. And then the other names are like created players. Nate Meters, Holton Hill, Kern Hall, Don't exist. Chris Boyd, <laughs> Mark Fields. Uh, obviously, the Vikings do have two first-round picks because of that Stefan Diggs trade. And I actually think that Mike Zimmer is kind of loving this because we've known during his time in Minnesota that Mike Zimmer has loved to take defensive backs and corners early. I mean, Mike Hughes is a first rounder in 2018. McKenzie Alexander was a second rounder in 2016. Trey Waynes was a first rounder in 2015. Even going back to his Bengals days, Drake, Drake Kirkpatrick, who's I believe still out there in free agency, a first rounder in 2012. So this is probably a position where Mike Zimmer trusts his evaluations more than any other. And I bet he will love drafting multiple corners in this class. And maybe he can keep the ship afloat because last year, even despite having all that horrendous cornerback play, they were still seventh-ranked defense and pass DVOA. They were still good. But this is now the first – I mean, the Minnesota Vikings' continuity just year to year has been insane under Zimmer. Just starters again and again and again. You know, they've had returned nine or ten guys, it seems like, on a year-by-year basis. Kind of reminds me of the Bills. Even if you're not overflowing with talent everywhere, if you have guys that have just played with each other for years and years now, I think you can give them a little bit of a boost. But now with these corners gone, especially if they can't find a way to re-sign Everson Griffin, big problem on DM Minnesota. Obviously, this team has a cornerback need, but how significant is the wide receiver need? Because without Stephon Diggs, you know, you disrupt that tandem that was Diggs and Adam Thielen. And while kind of earlier in their pairing, both could have exceptional weeks each and every Sunday, that's kind of been on the decline, I think, in the last year. Is, is wide receiver as equal of a need after giving up such a great talent like Stephon Dix? Logically, this team will use more 12 personnel and highlighting Irv Smith and Kyle Rudolph, but that can only take you so far. Like You still need a field stretcher beyond B.C. Johnson playing every single snap. And right now, they don't have anyone even behind B.C. They have Chad Beebe if they're looking at a slot wide out. So receiver, again, is a high priority. But if this team is taking on the Zimmer mindset and just defense as a whole, corner, that's probably their first place they look. We're just going to slander Tajay Sharp. Like, yes. <laughs> yes, 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 we are. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. Who has more receiving yards next year, Tajay Sharp or Irv Smith? I'm going with Irv. I love Irv. I yeah. Irv is just arbitrage Dallas Goddard right now. Ooh, I like it. All right, before we make the turn, let's recap. The most significant hole that needs to be filled before the 2020 season starts, John Daigle picked the Dallas Cowboys corners. I selected the Chargers quarterback, Ian Harditz, throughout the Vikings cornerback group. All right. Ian, you're up with another selection. I, I did not follow John's theory that we need to only pick relevant teams uh, for this. So I got the, I got <laughs> That's what always makes these conversations fun. It's okay. I got the Washington Redskins needing another pass catcher for the love of God. Huh? Ter- Terry McLaurin is awesome. 9.9 yards per target. I was 12th in the league. One versus some of the best cornerbacks, Darius Slay, Byron Jones, like one-on-one just th- 
was very good. Even Stephon Gilmore, seven touchdowns. I counted at least three brutal better balls. You sort of scored like nothing is wrong with Terry McLaurin, even as a number one. Fine. They did not add anyone else. Vernon Davis and Jordan Reed are gone. They're going to Jeremy Sprinkle, a tight end. Paul Richardson's corpse is gone. They've added like 30 running backs to the roster. I have no idea what Washington is doing on offense. Their offensive line is still a mess. I, I want to like Steven Sims. Like the guy looks really fast on film. He had a nice little end of the year, good returner. But Steven Sims cannot just be your like locked in number two pass catcher going into the season. We're looking at a situation where Haskins' early years are being ruined, just like Josh Rosen's were. I don't know what they want to do on offense in Washington. And again, McLaurin's fine, but we got to add someone else here than Kelvin Harmon, Trey Quinn. Well, but they tried to, Ian. Like, there were plenty of reports during free agency that they actually tried to give more money than Dallas did for Amari Cooper. Amari just did not want to join the Washington Redskins and where they are offensively now. He wanted to be in Dallas. So what that says to me is that Washington is fully committed to adding another pass catcher. I'm somewhat perplexed as to why they didn't try to sign anyone in free agency a wide receiver other than Amari Cooper, it sounded like. The production Steven Sims had that Ian cited in December was 36 total targets, nine per game in Washington's last four contests. But Steven Sims is arguably replaceable. That's why he's a trendy late-round best ball pick right now, but he's not a sure thing at all. Um, he could easily be replaced even if Trey Quinn stays healthy for whatever reason. But the fact is it's those two guys plus Kelvin Harmon behind Terry McLaurin right now, plus two receiving tight ends missing from last season's production and Vernon Davis and Jordan Reed. So there are just a, a lot of questions to answer in that offense as a whole. Can we name a worse offense in the league off the top of our head? I don't think so. Uh, is it true that like these are the four names that they added in free agency for pass catchers? Cody Latimer, Richard Rogers, uh, Logan Thomas, Peyton Barber, and J.D. McKissick. Yes. Are those, Peyton Barber. Are yes. those the five names? Those are literally the guys they added, yeah. And Scott Turner apparently has been having Christian McCaffrey conversations with J.D. McKissick. So we'll see no. how far that goes. My turn. This was actually going to be my second selection. So I'm glad it turned out to be my second selection. The Rams are basically returning their same exact offensive line from last season. Um, I think the Rams' offensive problems in 2019 went much deeper than their offensive line last year, namely to their quarterback, who I constantly say is a limited player off script. Uh, but, you know, their fans, who are obviously optimistic, are basically solely pointing to the offensive line. Well, that hasn't been fixed at all. No pieces have been added at all during free agency. Andrew Whitworth played over 1,000 snaps last year and is a year older in like his mid-30s, basically. Austin Blythe played 1,000 snaps last year and was absolutely awful and might be the starting right guard once again. Rob Havenstein was terrible at right tackle. He split time with rookie Bobby Evans, who was equally as terrible. Austin Corbett and Joe Noteboom were like splitting time at left guard. I mean, this is an offense that is run by a quarterback who played in a perfect situation to succeed for multiple years. And it worked because he was able to work on script. And now, when asked, because partially this offensive line is not good, to play off script, he cannot do it. Like, he, he pooped his pants. And, like, the diaper has not been changed right now. I'm drastically nervous that this Rams offense is more of what it's going to be in 2019 versus what it was in 2017 and 2018. I am coming around more and more to your thought you said about a month ago that this offense is just going to be something – reinvented something yes. we haven't seen from McFay in quite a long time because they only lost Todd Gurley like that's it they haven't added a piece at all I know they were rumored to go after Jordan Reed but that hasn't happened yet instead they're just bringing back Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett uh, so now they intend on apparently running a committee and with Daryl Henderson and Malcolm Brown so I, I don't know what this offense is with all the pieces in place especially if they intend on running out the same thing from last year, which I'm guessing they don't do. So, yeah, I, I'm excited to see what happens. But as you said, it's an issue, especially on the interior line right now. Only Matt Ryan have more pass attempts under pressure than Jared Goff last season. 
I don't disagree with people that think pressure and sacks are more of a quarterback stat than an offensive line stat, but then that's still your problem. And you're stuck with that problem. And it's one of the most expensive, if not the most expensive problems in the entire league. So as we saw, the only way to really get the best out of Jared Goff is to have this world beating offensive line. And the only move they made was giving Andrew Whitworth what seemed like way too big of a deal based on what the, what he's 38 now and kind of, I know he looked good the first couple of years in LA, but last year that was not, he was, he wasn't necessarily the fault of the offensive line, but he sure wasn't the solution either. So. Well, and I'd argue he was their best offensive lineman last year. And right. for those two seasons where they were successful, you know, their offensive line was healthy. It was consistent. It, it had continuity. And that is so difficult to repeat year over year over year. And while it worked out for two years for them, it didn't work out over three. And this problem is compounded by the fact that they don't have a first-round pick. They don't have a first-round pick because of that Jalen Ramsey deal. So they do have pick 52, pick 84, and pick 104 in the opening three rounds. But I mentioned a lot of these names like Joe Noteboom and a few others, Bobby Evans, who were like picks in the third and the fourth round who haven't, you know, worked out. So maybe their evaluations in that area of the draft aren't solid along the offensive line either. Or maybe I'm just overextending what I think was a pivotal issue in 2019, and maybe it can revert back to 2017, 20. You're you're mentioning players who struggled immensely last year and are just staying there by default. Like yeah. they haven't done anything, and that's perhaps because they can't do anything. They're so cap stricken by everything going around, including the ludicrous contract they initially gave Todd Gurley in the first place, that they really can't seem to improve any unit right now. I mean, I really don't think that this team is a playoff contending team if the offensive line plays the way it did last year. And again, that sounds like I'm putting all the blame on the offensive line. It's not. It's because you have a quarterback who, when pressured, Ian, has the biggest drop-off in quarterback success in the league. In the league. So he's just not a functional player when everything is disaster around him. He is not the type that can say, all right, I'm going to bring us out of this hole. And because of that, you have to have a perfect situation for him to succeed. But it, this makes me go back to what John said. Like, McVeigh knows this. McVeigh is does. a year away from us pretty much anointing him as the smartest dude in the entire NFL. We can see something really funky on offense in L.A. this year. I'm, I'm and, here for it. And remember, it's not just the offensive line. That's why I struggled to prioritize them high because they also lost Dante Fowler, Corey Lilton, and Clay Matthews, among other defensive pieces. So yeah. it's kind of a disaster. But all, all of their decisions, like you both have said, have pointed to – self-evaluating every single week and changing what they're doing every single week. I mean, it was just a couple of years ago where they ran 11 personnel, like 93% of the time. I highly doubt that we see the, you know, the same thing on both sides of the ball, offensively and defensively uh, every single Sunday. All right, John Deagle at number six, what are you going to pick? The Packers need literally anyone else who can catch a pass. Uh, the drop-off from Devontae Adams, 83 catches in 12 games last year to Aaron Jones, 49 was a steep one. And while it's possible Jones stays involved as a receiver out of the backfield, you can't depend on him matching his 19 touchdowns, which were the second most in Green Bay's franchise history from last year. Uh, Jimmy Graham, however poor he played, still finished with more receptions than any receiver not named Devontae Adams. So to fall back on Devin Funchess, who, yes, we discussed, is a value but not a sure thing, and an unproven, perhaps undeveloped second-year tight end who I love, but again, unproven, Jay Sternberger, seems like a stretch at where this offense is right now. I named Funches as, you know, one of the favorite signings, but that was because of the value of it. We still – why do we link Robbie Anderson and this team all offseason? Like, it's been clear that they need to add a second weapon. Like, I, all right, we're pretty much saying, like, Rodgers had Thanksgiving dinner with Alan Lazard, so everything's fine there because they're tight and it's all going <laughs> to work itself out. I don't know. Like, there's a reason why we were, you know – not calling, okay, I might have called the Packers frauds once or twice last season. But you did. <laughs> I did. Uh, their advanced stats were not that of the 13 and three first, you know, team they became. Their stats were more like a, you know, 500, maybe a little bit above team. And even though Rodgers had a really hot stretch during the season, he still really hasn't come close to being that 2010 to 2014 Rodgers during the last half decade. So clearly he's good enough still to turn on, win games by himself, you know having a guy like Rodgers can take a middling 500 team and elevate them to making the playoffs. I get that. But again, we're just sitting here after another offseason. Rodgers doesn't have help at wide receiver for the yeah. 20 straight year. We're dangerously close to being in the exact same spot as we were a year ago, right? With this Packers team, because 
you know, a lot of us expected them to add free agents last year that could catch the ball and make plays, and then they didn't. And then we expected them to draft players that could help with that, and they didn't. And they said it was because we'll really like appreciate the the second year players then that were going to that were day three selections that were going to make the leap, that were going to make the jump. Those players did not make the leap because now they're what a pick thirty in the first round. There's a lot a lot of people who follow this team closely, who cover this team closely, are actually pointing to them fixing the offensive tackle spot at that pick at number 30 rather than wide receiver. And if that's the case, then once again, you are siding with evaluations that become much more difficult and much more incomplete out of the first round at that wide receiver spot. Fortunately, it is a deep class as everyone's talking about. So you can still get away with two legitimate day one weapons in day two, or at least we assume so. And I would imagine that has to be the strategy because, like I said, like we all said, they can't go with this offense into the regular season. I'd be interested, too, to see if they draft a running back within the top four rounds because the only time we've seen Aaron Jones get that bell cow roll is when Jamal Williams is hurt or sidelined. But it could be even worse with Jones this year if they actually add someone they feel good about him. All all due respect to your guy, Tyler Irvin, Josh, but if they can actually add like a viable – Edo Smith-esque replacement that's good enough to still form a committee even if Jamal Williams gets hurt or something like that. You know, it's just a whole lot of downside for Aaron Jones' fantasy values. Basically. And Aaron Jones is a quiet holdout candidate because he's on the final year of his contract. Mm. It would be stunning for them not to take wide receivers. Brian Gutekunst realized the need he had on the defensive side of the ball last year. And, you know, took Darnell Savage, signed Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith. We just haven't seen that kind of investment yet. That pass catcher, but it, it, it will happen. I'm, I'm certain it will happen in the draft. All right, before we move on to your another pick, John Diggle, let's recap. Six picks so far in the most significant holes that still need to be filled across the NFL. The Dallas Corners at one, the Chargers quarterback at two, three, the Vikings cornerback group, four, Washington Redskins pass catchers, five, the Rams offensive line, and we just wrapped up the Packers pass catchers around Aaron Rodgers. John Diggle, take it away with another one. Let's go to a team I believe can bounce back and be a contender, but either way, it is very clear the Browns need to improve one position, and that's the left tackle spot. In one offseason, they have a legitimate shot to move on from both Chris Hubbard and Greg Robinson, who were first and second on the team in sacks allowed last year. There's no guarantee that this personnel shifts from glowing reviews and immediate offensive success with Jack Conklin in place on the right side of the line and whoever else on the left side. But whether it's Jedrick Willis, Makai Becton, Treston Wirfs, uh, Andrew Thomas, whoever they have higher on their big board in this draft, it feels like they have to grab at least one of them because all are stud athletes that could improve their O-line, um, which allowed an above average adjusted sack rate just last year. People are, you know, I, I've been one of these people that say the 2020 Cardinals are kind of looking like the 2019 Browns. And I am just shocked at how many people are acting like they had this Browns offense figured out from the start that they were going to fluke last year because mm. I, I don't know how you could look. We identified the offensive line was an issue. Sure. But the offensive line was an issue in 2018 when Baker lit the league on fire in the second half of the season, as soon as he was out of the pick picture. So yeah, you know, Freddie kitchen didn't work out. He was sure the you know, a pretty hot topic before things didn't work out in 2019. So all this fire, like the bounce back potential for the Browns is huge. Now it could just be the Browns still and, you know, never fail to put it all together. But yeah, if they can adjust that left tackle spot, you got two extremely talented running backs, two extremely talented wide receivers. Now you just paid for a very good tight end. And we've seen Baker put it together before. So yeah, I mean, maybe we were just a little too year too early on this Browns hype. Spend up. And Josh, I know you talked about in the draft that, uh, you know, there are really good offensive tackles, but uh, they're mostly limited to, you know, you're going to have to probably use an early round pick on it. So right. please, Cleveland, do it. Yeah, they're in that perfect spot at number 10, and, and Daigle listed all the names. I would also say, I wonder if we we're a little too early on, on the Baker hype. I mean, I always point it that when Freddie Kitchens called a good play, when the offensive line held up him blocking, Baker still made poor throws. He still made poor decisions. And maybe he was just trying too hard because I think there is this like subconscious feeling that when you have to elevate the people around you, you try to do too much. Whereas as a rookie, you know, the people around him were playing quite well and he probably felt comfortable and he probably was like, okay, yeah, this is my moment. No one's expecting me to play this well as I am as a rookie. But last year with the hype they had going into it with Odell joining him, certainly felt like this could be one of the best offenses in the NFL. I think he 
said as much. So, you know, I'm not out on Baker necessarily. I just have a little more caution right now that we can't, if they do fix this left tackle spot, we can't then just say, oh, this offense now is going to be great, right? Because I truly believe that Baker took a major significant step back last year. Baker's uh, passer rating under pressure has decreased every year so far. Uh, so it is worrisome. But again, just Conklin and uber superb athletic rookie compared to Robinson and Hubbard is just a, a logical upgrade. Yeah, I'm saying at what point are we going to look at this Lincoln-Riley offense and be like, okay, maybe not every single quarterback that comes out of here is a complete franchise game-changing talent just because they put up stupid numbers at Oklahoma. I'm not, you know, I love Kyler. I don't think Baker's washed. I don't know enough about Jalen Hurts to have a huge opinion on him yet, but we're now talking about the last three quarterbacks to go through Oklahoma are all like three of the most historically efficient passers ever. And it's just like, you know, how, how can you go wrong with a quarterback that's in the 95th percentile of collegiate production? I don't disagree with it, but – there's something funky going on with these big 12. Like I know it took the NFL forever to kind of embrace the air raid and all that. And we're just kind of seeing like the next level, the stat inflation just seems so ridiculous. At Oklahoma, maybe I'm just spewing nonsense and it's good players making good plays and all that. But at some point we got to look at what Oklahoma is doing against pretty bad competition. I think generally, and just maybe tick down our expectations a little bit. But they've kind of changed the game in that they are perfectly content with taking talented players on transfers, you know, like all three were transfers. And for so long in college football, that has not been a priority. It's, Hey, we're going to sign these four or five stars out of high school and try to groom them and have there be our quarterback of the future. Meanwhile, Lincoln Riley is like, Oh, who's the most talented quarterback who wants to come to my program now? Okay. I'm going to have you. So I think that, you know, the, the high school recruiting process, just like the NFL draft process is very difficult. And he's kind of bypassing that a little bit and actually seeing these players have tape on a college football field already before signing them to his team. It's a good point about transfers for sure. And I think that's why Hertz is getting touted as well, not just for his production, but really because he's just a big-bodied mobile guy. At number eight of this draft, for the Philadelphia Eagles, they need a backup deep threat or at least someone other than Deshaun Jackson who can add some electricity and some excitement to this offense. I mean, is anyone else surprised that the Eagles haven't even tried to improve their wide receivers after the position just completely melted down the stretch last season? I mean, right now this group is Deshaun Jackson, who, you know, is basically a unicorn at his position across the NFL, but didn't play in a single game outside the opener where he was fantastic. Alshon Jeffrey, who's near the end of his career and reports are already coming out that they tried to trade him during last season. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, who took zero steps as a rookie. And then Greg Ward emerges like their most consistent player down the stretch. They do have pick 21, 53, 103 in the top three rounds. But Ian, I would even go out there and if they had the space, just give like a simple contract to someone like Ted Ginn. You know, like Ted Ginn can still run fast. Ted Ginn can still help an offense. I think he's been underrated throughout his entire career. So at least you can hedge yourself a little bit because right now they're in the exact same situation as they were heading into last season. And basically one or two injuries derailed their offense. When they were amazing in 2017, it's not like they have one of the best field stretchers in the league at their disposal. It was Torrey Smith and Mac Hollins rotating and they were fast enough to kind of warrant some safety attention over the top, helped open up the rest of the offense. So I'm with you. I mean, look, DJX obviously looked awesome week one. Alshon, trade rumors, he's still there. If everything stays healthy in Philly, they're not necessarily in a bad spot. You know, losing Nelson Aguilar is probably a net positive for the entire wide receiver room. But they need to get somewhere else in depth because, let's face it, they haven't stayed healthy, and it is a train wreck behind them. You know, as much as I love AAF Hall of Famer Greg Ward, you know, we need to add other pieces there. And, you know, we talked about this in Minnesota. Like, you can only do so much with your two tight ends. Ertz and Goddard are each fantastic, but – how about Wentz a little bit? Because those guys, you know, the intermediate areas of the field are just so crunched when they have no one to take a top off the defense. From the time, to your point, the Eagles returned from their bye in week 11 to the time they walked off the field in their wild card loss to Seattle, their wide receivers, a group of four available players, combined, totaled for 47 catches, which was only three more than the 44 that both Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard individually caught in that span, including the playoffs. It goes beyond Greg Ward. 
they, they literally need a handful of more receivers to go along with Deshaun Jackson, especially since Alshon Jeffrey is 30 years old coming off Liz Frank surgery. Uh, but other than the Raiders, the good news is the Eagles have their list of wide receivers already queued atop their virtual fantasy football draft board for April 23rd through 25th because that's who they're going on day one. They don't even have another option. Last year, though, the team felt like they were in this position where they could draft for a future need. And that's why, you know, they mm-hmm. moved up to get Andre Dillard in the first round. It's going to be fascinating to watch them this year because I don't think they have that luxury anymore. I mean, I, I sat here and touted the Eagles as you know, the most talented roster heading into 2019. I can't say that about 2020. And they do have to draft for immediate need, which is, which is okay. I, I mean, need is a factor in drafting consciously or subconsciously. I, I'll also add this though, Ian. You know, it's not like this team hasn't done anything over the last couple months, right? They gave Javon Hargrave a big contract and they traded a draft pick for Darius Slay. And, you know, both of those are on the defensive side of the ball, but I will always point back. I'm not saying the defense was great last year, but that wide receiver room completely melted. Daigle just outlined it and they haven't done anything, even the smallest of moves to try to improve there at all. The entire wide receiver room melted. I mean, you have three or four guys get injured. I don't really care who you are. You're not going to be able to trot out good players at the position. Now, can we hopefully go from completely abysmal to below average with the backups? I think that's a realistic hmm. chance. But I don't know, man. Like, I wouldn't call them the most talented roster in the NFC by any stretch. But I think they're still top three, top four. I mean, to me, the biggest hole on this team was cornerback. And not only Darius Slay, but Nikel Roby Coleman's going to help a bunch in slot coverage as well. Obviously, Hargrave in the middle. I mean, the defense is nasty now. Is. And, yes, the wide receiver is a problem. But if they can add one guy, you know, top 50 picks, and then finally, maybe, knock on wood, get some health from Alshon and Djax, they're not in that bad of a spot. All right, one more individual pick from us. That is to you, Ian Harditz. With all due respect to 2018 General Manager of the Year, Ryan Pace, I'm going with the Bears offensive line. There, you know, we all know there's 32 NFL teams. Nobody is spending more at the tight end position than the Chicago Bears. Uh, Trey Burton, Jimmy Graham, Adam Shaheen. There's like nine guys. I mean, it, it is absolutely hysterical. The, the Bears tight end group and the Redskins running back groups are just really, really – it's a fun time on the internet if you're just looking for some laughs uh, while you spend this quarantine. But the Bears, come on, guys. Kyle Long retired, and literally what he said was he didn't think the running – he didn't think Montgomery was the problem. He didn't think Mitch was the problem. He said – invest in the offensive line. All they've done is replace Kyle Long with Jermaine and Fetty. I'm not, I, I don't know much about Jermaine. He's, he's not good. He's not good. Okay. I, he's, yeah. yeah, he's not good. And they're, they, really are kick, they are kicking him inside, I believe, to right guard. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a Well, design. he couldn't fit anywhere on the Seahawks offensive Ex- Exactly. Line, so. He's he's very poor. I suspected that based on the dollar figure. And, look, they're right now the Bears are only one of seven teams with fewer than $30 million devoted to the offensive line. You're going from Trubisky to Foles. And, look, I think that's an upgrade overall. But mobility-wise, it's a pretty mm-hmm. big downgrade. And if you want to keep him upright and you're just assuming that Montgomery and Tariq are going to engineer a better run game, even though we don't have as much of a mobile option under center. I mean, the only time this Bears offense has looked legitimately good over the last few years was when Trubisky was really using his legs as both a read option threat and scrambling. Both those things are gone. Again, I, I, I don't want to say Foles is bad now because Jacksonville, that, that season didn't go well, but there's not much help for him other than Allen Robinson. Mitchell Trubisky averaged five and a half scrambles over the last six games last year, but it took to those last six games for him to finally get moving because prior to that, he averaged under two carries per game and his nine starts beforehand. Uh, And now just going from that to who we know, Nick Foles, perhaps a big arm, but as you said, literally immobile, like will not move at all. Um, Yeah, it's pretty scary situation. Yeah, and we, I think we can point to Foles being successful in Philadelphia because he was playing behind a fantastic offensive line, an offense that was, you know, at that time, a great offensive mastermind in Doug Peterson and company. And, you know, a lot of the options were open. And then when they weren't open, he was able to make plays in that small sample size. I'm not sure if I can reiterate any of those points that I just made with the current version of the Chicago Bears. That's nerve-wracking. And, I mean, I don't even know if we even need to talk about much Trubisky anymore because all the signs, while they call it an open competition, it would be stunning if Nick Foles is not the starting quarterback of this team in 2020. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they just got to say that because they're still trying to save face for the Trubisky. Of course they are. Yeah, it's, it's not open competition, yeah. Um, okay, 
So that is our nine individual selections. As we handle this 10th one, we each will nominate. Let's go. I have a few left. Let's go. I have a few left too. Seattle edge rusher. Uh, Quick point. Second fewest sacks in the league last year, and yet lost to Jevian Clowney, Quentin Jefferson, and Ezekiel Ansah with only bringing back Benson Mayo and free agency. Um, I feel like I have to say the Dolphins' left tackle and right tackle spot, and they're in like a perfect situation to nail both down. But mentioning that, I have one to throw at you, and it's actually Super Bowl losing team having a quarterback who could actually make something happen on his own. This isn't a team that's going to make this change, but if we were looking to me at a hole that needs to be fixed in the NFL, the 49ers have one of the best rosters in the NFL with potentially the best play caller in the NFL. And right now, they have a quarterback who in the second half of the Super Bowl, if his primary option was not there, he looked lost. Again, do not expect the team to self-evaluate and fix that, especially after just giving Jimmy an extension. But I would be nervous if I watched that team each and every week and believing and thinking that Jimmy is of equal talent of other quarterbacks that can handle when everything else collapses around him. Because from watching him all season long, I don't think he can. One quick note on Jimmy. I was going through a bunch of QB contracts a couple of weeks ago. I noticed when he missed all of 2018, I mean, they put – 37 million as his cap hit, which is over 20% of the team's cap. He's under 13% of the team's cap hit for the remainder of his deal. So I know he's being paid like a top, top quarterback, but I think Lynch did some kind of clever, uh, you know, mingling behind the scenes. So unlike the Rams, maybe they can at least build an offense around his talents. That are limited. I agree with you. All right, Ian, what's yours? I'm going with the Raiders cornerback room. Their solution was to get Eli Apple, which I was already pretty much out on. I don't think Eli can be a number one cornerback in the league at this moment. That deal fell through. And they added Jeff Heath and the Marius Randall and safety group. I'm fine with both those additions. But we just have no one else here. And they're going to have to face Tyreek Hill, Colton Sutton, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams twice a year. And there's just nobody to stop them. This was already 29th in DBOA versus number one wide receivers, 31st versus number two wide receivers. They're one of eight teams spending under $10 million to the cornerback position. Nick Nelson and Trayvon Mullen are going to start or something like that. It's just ridiculous right now. Uh, I look at all the top cornerbacks in the league, and the single worst cornerback from last year was their slot corner, uh, LaMarcus Joyner. So Oakland, like, clearly they're – I don't know what they're doing on defense, but I, 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 Las Vegas, gosh. I don't know what they're doing, but – We're all going to do it throughout the year, don't worry. Once again, do not expect a good defense from the Raiders in 2020. Their team, I know they got a lot of praise, and Mike Mayock did, for the rookies who played well last year. And, you know, your Max Crosby's and even your Hunter Renfro's. He deserves the praise for those. But part of the reason why those, like, late rounders played so well is because how bad their roster was last year. And, like, that's why they got to play so often. And, yeah, they've added some decent and nice pieces. But I'm not sure if this team is much more talented than it was heading into last year. And I also wonder if you can even expect Daigle for the Raiders to have the same amount of offensive early season success as they had last year because their offensive line played outstanding football and Josh Jacobs was one of the top five running backs in the league while healthy. And I don't know if that is the type of offense that can be sticky year over year, especially when an opposing defense knows how limited your quarterback is in terms of how much he wants to test you vertically. They had a negative point differential throughout their first half of the year winning streak. But as you said, just adding Corey Littleton and Nick Kwiatkowski, the fact you sunk $66 million into them, uh, improving your front seven just by those two additions, not to mention Carl Nassib and Malik Collins. It's the corners now behind you. Those three guys we already mentioned, plus Nevin Lawson, round out a group when they only – tried to get Eli, Eli Apple. Perhaps they were in on Byron Jones, but they lost out. They lost out on Eli Apple, and now they just have nothing really along the perimeter. And it's uh, certainly scary considering how much um, equity they sunk into their front seven. Yeah. They did spend a second-round pick in Trayvon Mullen, but all right. I'm going to vote for Ian's. Dago, are you going to vote for Ian's as well? I'll vote for Ian's as well. Okay. It, it allows us to end this podcast earlier than we could. Um, all right. Real quick. Let's do a quick uh, honorable mention. Oh, yeah. Go ahead, Ian. I had the Cardinals offensive line. Good. You re-signed Humphreys. Keep addressing it. Houston offensive line. Come on, guys. And Baltimore. Yeah, Houston a receiver as well. Yeah. And it'd be nice to see the uh, Ravens get uh, another wide receiver for the offense. 
the Bucks have already talked about adding a pass catching running back. So even they recognize that that is a need as well. And Broncos second wide receiver. I know some people on this podcast are big fans of Tim Patrick. I know other people in the football media world are fans of Deshaun Hamilton. Uh, but, you know, having another wide receiver other than Cortland Sutton, who had a breakout 2019, would be a lot of fun. But if that doesn't happen, Ian, I know you and I are all aboard the breakout Noah Fant 2020 season that could be approaching because, man, is he fun when he understands that the football is coming his way and understands how to hold on to it once it hits its hands. Recap Um, our top ten list before you sign off. Let's recap. These are the most significant holes that need to be filled prior to the start of the 2020 season. The Dallas cornerbacks, the Chargers quarterback, the Vikings cornerbacks, Washington Redskins pass catchers, the Rams offensive line, the Packers pass catchers around Aaron Rodgers. Anybody. Browns at left tackle, specifically left tackle. Philly wide receivers after what we saw that position group turn into at the end of last season. The Bears offensive line. And then we close with the Raiders cornerback group. All right, gentlemen, thanks for joining me here on this Tuesday. I will be back on Thursday with Patrick Doherty again with news. And once again, we're going to run it back with Ben Fennell. Um, to talk about some NFL draft prospects. You guys have been loving those draft conversations. So we are doing it just for you. Again, we are all contributing to the team needs and seven round mock series, which is up on Roto World right now, AFC East and AFC North with the rest of AFC to follow this week, then the NFC next week. Um, also, we're doing a mock draft podcast next week with Chris Sims, Paul Burmeister, Hayden Winks, and myself. So be on the lookout for that one as well. And... Friday, 12-hour stream for charity, Josh Norris, Mm. featuring you, which we have to hash out. Uh, Ian's going to come on at night to join me. We also have Matthew Berry, Evan Silva, Phil Yates, Greg Rosenthal. The list goes on and on and on. There will be an afternoon workout. There will be cooking tips. It is a long stream for donations and relief. So join Um, us. Yeah, all I've done with that is just say yes to it. So I need to know more details. Um, I'm sure you will post more details about it as well. Uh, There should be something going up by the time this podcast releases. There we go. That's it. All right, gentlemen. I'll talk to you all soon. Everyone out there, be safe. Glad you're doing okay. We'll talk to you all soon. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.